Well, praise the Lord. Good morning and good to see you all. <coughs> now, you're going to have to put up with my croaky voice this morning. And so, uh, <coughs> yeah, I'll have to do that maybe a few times and I sound like, I don't know what I sound like, but anyways, I'm sure you'll tolerate me and uh, the Lord will still communicate to us and we'll be blessed. Praise the Lord. All right, well, we can turn into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, I, um, this is obviously uh, my last message before I head on Thursday to Fiji to catch up, to join with the Beavich uh, family and then begin on Friday our mission trip. Looking forward to that and all that God's going to do and the reports that we'll bring back and, uh, and some footage as well. Barbara's going to... You know, record and get all those bits and pieces so that we can uh, really get an, uh, an understanding of what the Lord has done amongst us. But in, uh, in considering that, I thought, well, how am I going to conclude on the basis of some of the things that I've been talking about over the last few months? And so, with me being gone for the next few weeks, and then Pastor Werner and I'll be back, and we have Bill Randall's coming uh, end of July. And so um, it's kind of hard to continue in that flow. So I thought, because there's so much more things that we could consider and talk about in the context of uh, the promised land and the fullness of Christ and all the distinctions that we've been making and truths that we've been drawing upon. And so it's kind of like, well, what can I leave you with? What can be a kind of a closing thought on this uh, to encourage us uh, in relation to the issues that we've been considering. And so, um, we're going to look at something that in relates to the issue of faith uh, this morning. Now, in, re- in relation to all that we've been considering in fullness and, and being perfect in Christ and uh, full stature, complete uh, victory, all of these terms that we've been considering... Um, sometimes some may be tempted to think that I'm preaching a gospel that may be void of any kind of suffering or any kind of hardship. But in actual fact, that's for the furthest that what I'm wanting to communicate and to teach. In actual fact, uh, what I'm talking about is to be in conjunction with the realities of life and the realities of life can be totally contrary to the spiritual realities that we are ex- to experience in Christ. Isn't that the case? And so I want to consider that because there's a, in, in life there is a snapshot of reality. Um, Brother James was talking about it just today and uh, there is hardships, there's tribulation, there's sufferings, there's, um, we fail, we fall short. And so these are the realities of life. We don't want to paint a picture of Christianity, uh, even though we talk about our inheritance in Christ and that which we are to possess. There is a there is a natural dimension still that exists, and in this world we uh, we are we must endure, and we must persevere. And uh, and sadly, there are times where we uh, go through various trials and tribulations. That's the reality. But in saying that, that doesn't mean that we cannot still live in the fullness. That doesn't mean that we have an excuse not to, uh, um, um, you know, 
be, to be miserable. But still, in light of all things, we can say God is on the throne, hallelujah, and, uh, and in Christ, in our position in Christ and all that relates to that, we still hold fast to these wonderful treasures that we have and the inheritance that we have and possess in Christ Jesus. And so, we saw uh, this phrase used a couple of times. I can't remember. In a song, that's why Brother John talked about the dwelling in the land, feeding in the land. Because that's where we're to live, amen? When we talk about the promised land, it's not just the heaven that awaits, although it incorporates that, but there is a little, there's heaven in our hearts, praise the Lord. And so, <clears throat> we want to consider these things. You know, uh, we have to learn to stand against the enemy. We're in a war. I mean, that's one of the things we could have considered. I mean, they, when Israel went into the promised land, you know, it, um, uh, they had to fight. They had to engage in, in warfare. And in the Christian life, in the context of us too, we're going to have to learn to engage in spiritual warfare. And we have to learn to stand against the enemy because we're going to experience uh, on salt, an assault from hell uh, to try and discourage us, to try and steal our possessions, so to speak, to try and bring us into a place of unbelief and doubt. And so this is why all these issues are very critical. But you see, our lives and our emotions this morning are subjective to the circumstances of life. That's the reality. But our faith is not. Okay, Our lives and our emotions, we're real, let's be real, are subjected and are subjective to the, the issues and circumstances of life, but our faith must not be. And so I want to preach a message that really kept, is encaptured in the text that we're going to consider, which, which is referred to as being cast down but unconquered. I think that captures the spirit of what I want to talk about and leave with you this morning. Cast down, maybe, but never unconquered. Doesn't matter what the devil throws at us, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can conquer the inner man that is to, be, is to grow and be strengthened in his power and in his might. And we are to stand against the enemy and to be strong in the power of his might. And so, it's that that we want to grasp as we consider our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll read from verse number 7 together. Let me find it myself. Okay, let's read on for verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in, our, in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, uh, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also, also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. 
And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I have believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things, uh, for all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the inner man, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Praise the Lord. Now let's just get a bit of context here because it is clear that Paul is talking about uh, in the context of being cast down and unconquered and in the context of what he's referring to in verses 7 to 15, he's talking about the context of persecution and rejection that relates to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as he is evangelising, as he's on his missionary journey, as he's preaching the gospel and all that he's encountering and experiencing. So that's the context that Paul is dealing with. But in his, these particular verses, and particularly in verse 13, he uses a particular quote. And he uses a phrase where he says, I believed, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. Now he's drawing upon a principle of God's word. Now he's applying it here into the context of which he is discussing. But when you go back and look at the particular verse and Psalm, which is Psalm 116, you can turn there, we're going to go there in a minute. And if you look at that and read through, you begin to see that Paul is taking a universal principle in the, in the Bible and he's taking it out of the context that it is used in Psalm 116, although he's using it in context to a point, but at the same time he's, uh, he's applying it into a different situational circumstance. So here I am again today taking the same principle, taking the same truth and applying it in the context of the Christian life in which we are considering it. So we can still take all that Paul's talking about in this particular text and we can still make it relevant to the life in which we are now living in Christ. He says in verse 13, quoting, I believed and therefore I spoke. Now that is from Psalm 116. Now let's go there for a moment because I think it's important that we just identify ourselves with the, the scripture that Paul is using and the context in which in the psalm itself refers to it. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. 
Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, verse 10, I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. We'll leave it there. But you can see that the context is completely different to what Paul is referring to. He's talking about it in, an evangel- in his evangelistic missionary campaign, although he is referring to the principle of, of, of death there, as we can see that it's re- making reference to. But nevertheless, we're talking about a severe trial, severe troubles, severe affliction that has come upon. The pains of death have surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol have laid hold of me. There is a distress and there's a trouble of life that has come upon me that has brought me so low. I mean, this person is going through a hard time, a difficult time, a trial. And yet, we find in verse 10 um, a, a statement of faith. I believed, therefore I spoke. And Paul takes that and he, re- he, he, he implants it right here in his epistle and he uses it to, in the context of which he writes to the Corinthians because in the midst of what they were encountering and experiencing, which was, which was uh, obviously quite oppressive and they were afflicted in the cause of the gospel, but he was still a man of faith. And he, he uses this in the same context, I believed and therefore I spoke. See, this is what makes this very important for us this morning in the circumstances that we experience because the truths are constant. This, this statement that Paul refers to, I believed and therefore I spoke, it is relevant to you and I in the daily lives and in the journey of our Christian faith and our Christian walk. Because we are going to go through various experiences. I mean, Paul writes to the Corinthians and in chapter 1 he talks about God being the God of all comfort. And then he begins to speak to them later in the ver- down in the chapter, and in verse eight he says, "Don't be ignorant of our trouble." And he goes on to say that in verse nine, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should no longer trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He says in verse eight, going back, sorry, I missed it. He says we were burdened beyond measure, above strength so that we despaired even of life. But yet he's in the midst of that, he's talking about a God of comfort. You see, this is the reality. I mean, we can go to chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians again where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh and he talks about the distress and the immense distress that that, and trouble that that was causing him and which he pleaded with God three times to take it and yet the, the divine response comes to him and God says to him in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 9 and God says, My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You see, you can capture the, 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 the duality of these statements. In the, what these are and what we're dealing with here is the paradoxes of life. A paradox is something, it's a statement that is self-contradictory. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Or God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Like it doesn't make, to the natural mind, that's not logical. That's not how it's meant to work. But yet in the kingdom of God, it is different and this is the reality of spiritual life. And this is what we have to understand and grasp for ourselves. There's, a, there's, there's many paradoxes. If you, Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. You know, th- we find these variations of these paradoxes in the scripture, but they're there for a reason and they have great spiritual significance and ultimately blessing for us. And that's why in our text, in chapter 4, Paul uses a couple of paradoxical statements in which he refers to his state of being and to the circumstances of his life. So he says, now uh, in verse 8, he says, we are hard pressed on every side. Hard pressed, Um, that word is to be crowded, to to be narrow, to just be confined. He's hard pressed. That is his natural circumstance and he's feeling the pressure of that moment, but yet he says, even though I'm hard-pressed on every side, he says, yet I'm not crushed. You see, that, that statement is profound. I'm pressed. I'm under heaps of pressure, but I'm not crushed. I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. And so, you, again, I'm making the distinction between the natural life and the spiritual life. Because that's exactly the right manner in which Paul is speaking. When he says, I'm hard-pressed, he's referring to the natural circumstances. But when he says, I'm not crushed, he's talking about the inner man. He's talking about his spiritual well-being or health or position or whatever you want to call it. But there's an opposite there. He goes on to say, we are perplexed. We are perplexed, meaning that he's at a loss mentally as to how this is all going to work. You know, we like to, you know what the natural mind's like, we like to figure things out, we like to have it all set uh, and, you know, we like to... But yet he's in a position where he's perplexed. He doesn't, uh, he, he's at a loss to under, fully grasp and understand what's going on, how it's all going to work out. So he states clearly, in the natural sense, I am perplexed. I haven't got a complete understanding of what's going on, how this is going to work itself out. But he says, but I'm not in despair. You see, because you can, and so he can be in a place and a position of perplexity where he has a sense of no way out, but yet in spite of that, he's not despairing. Again, we see the duality of the natural and the spiritual that are operating at the same moment. 
And that's why I refer, and I have in various times, and I know I'm reiterating certain things here, but I pray for our benefit. It's good to be reminded that there is a duality of life. That's what I want us to understand, is that there is the natural man and there's the spiritual man. And that we must walk in the spirit. We must live in the spirit, not walk according to the flesh. And though we are in the flesh, we can still live in a manner that we're we're in the spirit, that we're living in the spirit, walking in the spirit, that we, like Paul, can find ourselves in exactly the same situations. Although we may be hard-pressed, although we may be perplexed, we're not crushed and we're not in despair. Because God wouldn't have us to be at that place, would he? He says we're persecuted in verse 9. Persecuted but not forsaken. He has a sense of God's presence. He says we're struck down but not destroyed. Struck down but not destroyed. You see, it doesn't matter what they do to him. The picture you get here, it doesn't matter what the outward circumstances of life are, they're not touching his inner man. Is it? That's what he's telling us. He says, it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside, I'm buffeted and protected on the inside. Praise the Lord. And in my weakness, the grace of God is my strength. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so in Christ I can do all things who strengthens me. Scripture tells us we strengthen in the inner man. And Paul's demonstrating that strength. It's not a, it's not a self, you know, resolve. You know, I'm not going to bend. You know, I'm, I'm strong. You know, it's none of that nonsense. I'm talking about a strength that's derived from Christ. Paul's speaking because of his knowledge of the provisions of Christ, who he is in Christ, what he has possessed in Christ. And that has made him who he is and what he's declaring in this situation. See, Paul is, in a sense, is cast down. As the, it says that in the, um, you know, in my Bible it has the caption, cast down, but unconquered. But he's unconquered in a literal sense. And the reason for that is because Paul understands that in Christ he has the victory. He is, he is all, the battle has already been won. He understands completely his position and he is unmoved. So much so so that when the time of death comes for him later, he's not phased by it. He's ready. He's ready to meet the Lord. You see, because he, he said that to die is gain and I'm delivered to death. And if that means that I, and he's talking about in the literal sense where his body's being poured out or his life's being poured out as a drink offering and he says, so let it be upon the service of your faith. But you see, at the same time, even if it means I die physically, let it be for the glory and purposes of God. And that's why in drawing from um, uh, Psalm 116, if you look, in, we read to verse Ten to thir- uh, thereabouts, thirteen. If you go to verse fifteen, it says, "There, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints." And so, because, Amen. Because we are those that have trusted Him. I believed, and therefore I spoke. That's why God takes pleasure in the death of His saints, because He's dealing with the people that have faith in Him, that love Him, that trust Him. 
And that excites the heart of God because he's bringing us home to him, amen. To be absent from the Lord is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Yeah, you can kill my body, you can beat me up, do whatever you want because I win anyway. <laughs> I just love it. I'm cast down but I'm unconquered. Oh, death, where is your sting? So this brings us to the issue of the spirit of faith that I want to consider with you because Paul refers to in verse 13 and he says, since we have the same spirit of faith. You see, we are to have the same spirit of faith that of all that have proceeded before us. We're talking about the faith of David. We're talking about the faith of our forefathers. See, these possessed a spirit of faith. You can read Hebrews chapter 11. You're dealing with those that were uh, uh, encompassing the spirit of faith. And that faith is what pleased God. That faith is what moved mountains. That faith is what caused them. And the Bible says, of whom the world is not worthy. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because of whom the world is not worthy. Hallelujah. But God says, they are they worthy. They are mine. Glory to God. And so it's the spirit of faith that we, that we are to have. Now, again, forget faith for faith's sake. Well, I'm talking about, the Bible says here in our text, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. You see, we just don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. We have faith in the Word. Our faith is concretely settled and firmly standing upon that which has already been declared. The spirit of faith is built upon that which is written. You see, (coughs) it has to be. Otherwise, uh, it's those promises, it's those statements, it's that which is written that gives us hope, that gives us faith, that inspires faith, that gives us confidence. And that spirit of faith becomes ours since we have the same spirit of faith. And the spirit of faith is critical to dwelling in the land. The spirit of faith is critical to possessing our possessions if, and using these phrases uh, the spirit of faith is, is important in relation to all of these things to live in victory to live the overcoming life or whatever you want to term it or whatever you want to call it to, all these things are interchangeable but they all speak the same thing so the spirit of faith is really the same as faith in itself that's what it's talking about we're studying Romans at the moment as well and we just got through the nice next word <laughs> it's not like that. Well, it is. It was for the first one. We're starting to skip a little bit. But, <laughs> but Romans one seventeen, we just looked at that. The just shall live by faith. And the righteousness of God is from faith to faith. And so the, it, we are the spirit of faith. See, the reason why I believe the Bible refers to the spirit of faith is because you say, well, how much faith? Well, you know what? Faith, 
it's the issue is not how much faith per se. It is the substance of your faith. That's why Jesus said you have faith as a mustard seed. Because it's not the size, although size is important because we are to grow from faith to faith. The spirit of faith gets stronger. Okay? But in this instance, we're talking about the substance. And so, if you have the spirit of faith, even if it's in its, uh, if you want to call it in its infancy, so to speak, that's all right. God will, will, you will continue to feed off the land. You will continue to read the word of God. And as you feed off the pure milk of God's word, you're going to see more that is written. And then the spirit of faith will become stronger and stronger and your faith will become stronger and stronger. And you will begin to stand firmly upon the promises of God. Oh, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Paul says, I believed and therefore I spoke. You see, that word believe in the Greek, as I've just touched upon, but it means to have faith. It means to actually to have faith upon or in a person, in this sense. Or the word means to entrust. So the word believe here doesn't mean, oh yeah, I believe, but, you know, there's got to be a lot more substance to that. The word believe means I'm trusting God. You see, we're not just trusting, uh, you know, we're not just speaking faith for sake, faith's sake. We are trusting God. We are believing in Christ. We are trusting in His person. We are trusting in His power. We are trusting in His promises. We are trusting in Him. And that's why I believed and therefore I spoke. That belief means, you know what, I'm trusting God. I have committed all things into His hands. And that's why belief comes from the, uh, the, 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 the Greek word is uh, uh, pistio. I don't, I don't know how to say it. You Greeks will laugh at me, I know. I'm a yobo. It comes from the Greek word pistis and that means <coughs> to trust. And so, in other words, the root word of believe means, to, and the word pistis means to trust, but it means to be persuaded, to be convinced. And so, if you're going to trust Jesus, then you have to be convinced of what he, he is, who he is. That God, those that come, you know, what does the scripture say? Without faith it is impossible to believe, uh, to, to please God for those that come to him must believe. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because you see, when we are convinced, when we are persuaded, when our faith is, 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 is determined and we are in our heart, we have said yes. That's why the Bible says, uh, we, with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. And when we are persuaded, then we will begin to act and we will begin to trust. And that will be seen in the way in which we conduct ourselves and we live our lives. <clears throat> so faith and believe uh, come from the same root word but they teach us something a little bit different 
in terms of faith is the, being in this instance that which is descriptive, that which defines for us what faith is. But to believe is the verb or the action of actually trusting in God. And Paul says, I believed. I'm trusting. And that's exactly the usage of it in Psalm 116. I believed. I'm trusting you. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the situation. And so it is. You know, I think about Romans 8 and I've made much reference to this particular chapter and in my mind it is the, the, the promised land for the Christian. But you know, in Romans chapter 8, what you find, as much as you find those blessings that are proclaimed and the provisions that are made, what you find in chapter 8 is another paradox because it, makes it, it talks about suffering, doesn't it? Paul writes and he says, I consider the present sufferings. And so, because even in the midst of that fullness, there is the realities of sufferings that can be uh, can, can working in conjunction in life. But Paul writes in chapter 8, and this is what makes it so special, because even in the midst of the sufferings, even in the midst of whatever life throws at us, whatever it is that we go through, the Bible says that, that we are to be unconquered. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8 and he says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors, praise the Lord. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And he writes, that, and he goes through from verses 35 onwards and he talks about principalities, powers, death, this and that. And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so when you become locked into that, when you begin to uh, understand those realities and and, and trust and believe, then you too will live exactly as Paul has declared. You will be an overcomer. You will be more than a conqueror. Not just unconquered, but a conqueror. (coughs) You see... This is how it works. You see, faith also has a language because he says, I believe, I believed and therefore I spoke. You see, the issue of what we speak is important. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here but there is a significance. That's what the scripture is saying. You see, (coughs) excuse me, it's not wrong to speak what and share what your experience and feelings are. You know, like somehow we can't be real and say, you know, I'm not, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm you know, whatever the situation, you can be genuine, you can be real. I'm not talking about us being pretenders, okay? We can share our feelings, we can share our experiences, we can be real, praise the Lord. But uh, what I'm talking about is that our dear sister is a perfect example she got up here and shared her struggle, her experience, her trial. But yet at the end she said, but God is good. I believed, therefore I spoke. And it was that, it was a sharing of an experience that we, it's not pleasant, but yet there was a declaration of faith 
that was associated with that testimony that captures exactly what the scripture is referring to. I believed and therefore I spoke. And that's what has to happen in our language because, you know, you can easily get despaired. You know what I mean? You can easily be conquered by the circumstances. And yet the scripture is telling us that we are, it's not, that's not to be. And yet, though we have the dual aspects of life where we're physically going through things, but yet spiritually we can find strength and, and, uh, in Christ. And so that's why it is important what we speak. You can speak about what you're feeling, what you're going through, but make sure, amen, that God's in there, okay? Sometimes I listen to people speak about their circumstances you say, where's God in this? Where's God? Because you're not demonstrating any faith you're not showing forth a faith that says, you know what, but in spite of this, I'm, I'm seeking God, I'm trusting God, or, or however that makes manifest in your life. That's why we've got to be careful when we don't speak words of unbelief. <coughs> See, what we, I mean, we know that the scripture warns us, uh, again in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, you know, it talks about Israel, that they, what did they do? They complained and they murmured, which was a result of their unbelief. They, they, they refused to trust God. Then this people who was no faith. And yet we know that as a result of their murmuring and complaining, they, they, were, they found themselves in serious trouble with the Lord. And so what I'm saying to us as well is that faith has a language that I believed and therefore I spoke. We believe, or we also believe, and therefore speak. And we need to be able to speak God's word. We need to be able to speak words of hope, words of faith, words of trust, words of confidence. Because if you know God, you will speak in, in accordingly. David, in Psalm 27, he writes... And he makes a statement in verses 13 and 14 and he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And how true is that? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God. That's a statement of faith. I believed, therefore I spoke. And in spite of the, the difficulty of the situation or circumstances, he believed and he spoke. And that's exactly how it needs to work. Uh, Joshua and Caleb had the same spirit of faith, didn't they? We have the forefather of faith, Abraham. See, the list can go on and on and on and on. Hebrews 11 lists quite a few of them. But you see, faith this morning is about seeing the invisible. You have to be able to see the invisible. You see, that's why in verse 16 of our text, Paul says, therefore... We do not lose heart. See, David said, I would have lost heart. The scripture says, we do not lose heart. 
even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is (coughs) for a moment, excuse me, (coughs) is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. See, that's what we have. We, we have to see. One, I don't know where I heard this statement, but it's always stuck with me. To, to see God, to know God is to see God. <coughs> and so we, 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 eternal life is knowing God. And when you know God, you see God. So I can't see God physically. You don't need to see Him physically. You can already see Him. And so, in, 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 in reading the word, according to what is written, we have a perfect picture before us, amen, in terms of, the, of, of, of enough for us to trust and believe God. We must see the invisible. The Bible says in, in chapter 5 of the next, <clears throat> if you look further down at verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. <coughs> we walk by faith and not by sight. And so faith is, again, critical in these circumstances. And so the question is, well, what then am I going to say? You see, that's why we find, and I get excited in the Bible, because faith this morning always says, yes and amen. Always. Faith always says, yes and amen. You know the scripture, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. And when, when, and that should get us excited, praise the Lord. Because you know what? Our emotions get subdued by the circumstances of life. So it's okay to get excited about the promises of God. Because oh yeah, yeah, God's for me. No, speak it, believe it, show me that you believe it, get excited. Again, I'm not trying to speak, you know, hyper-emotionalism or anything like that. I'm just saying, just believe it. Look like you believe it at least. (laughs) You see, even when your feelings and your circumstances contradict the scripture... Faith still says amen. Faith still says amen. That's why uh, Job went through, he went through and his wife said, just curse God and die. <laughs> Bad move. He said no. Because faith still says amen. Naked I came in, naked I'll go out. Let it be. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to praise him anyway. One man said, faith is always the bridge over which the divine forces move to construct Christian experience which conforms to the word. Okay? Now take that, I'll read it again, take it in its context and take it in its entirety. Faith is always the bridge over which the divine forces move to construct Christian experience which conforms to the word. I believe, therefore I spoke, according to what is written. It must have its basis 
in the Word of God. Otherwise, we can test it and we can say, well, I don't know. God doesn't say that here. I don't know what he's saying there. But you see, James again touched upon this and I want to close with this concluding thought. He said that in Adam we die, but in Christ we're made alive. And so it's in that, that right there is our inheritance. It's the life of Christ, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so even in the light of all circumstances of life, it's that spirit of life is constantly operating. It is, it's, see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Adam became a living being. But you see, but, see, uh, but Jesus, uh, and, and it was a life-giving spirit. And so we have a, a, a spirit that constantly gives life. You know, the sun is always shining, amen? The spirit always gives life. The inner man is being renewed day by day. And it doesn't matter if the clouds come or whatever happens, amen, the sun will shine and the sun's always shining. So we have a life-giving spirit. So this is what I want us to tap into. You know, again, Romans 8 talks about we have the first fruits of the spirit. So yes, there is the present sufferings. Yes, there is the circumstances of life as, that, that are before us. But we have the first fruits of the spirit. And therefore, the result of that is we have life in Christ. Fullness. We are complete in him. And that spirit is a life-giving spirit. The Bible says we have a spirit as a guarantee. You see, I am his and he is mine. Praise the Lord. So can you see? The inner man, is, we're seeing, highlighting all these things. But God always brings us to victory. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. In Christ. They're the key words. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. We've just got to not lose heart. We've just got to hold fast. We've don't Bible says don't cast away your confidence. It has great reward. And if we will hold fast, if we will endure, we will persevere, amen, through the grace of God because in our, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. I'm not talking about our human strength. I'm talking about the empowering of God to, to do as is required, to endure, to persevere. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, don't all these scriptures get you excited? Hey, James, there she's ready to jump out of her skin. <laughs> because when you say these words, great is he, you know, you, and you don't just say them as a mantra, but you know what they mean. And you understand what these represent. And I tell you, it can do nothing but excite the heart. And so, are you convinced this morning? Are you persuaded? Hallelujah, then trust God. Trust God. I believed and therefore I spoke. And you know what? The promised land awaits, church, because one day we're going to be with him in glory. Hallelujah. God bless you. All right.
uh, Brother Colm's coming forward. They're going to pray for 